The New York Times, yeah. this past Sunday, there was an article about the first black punk rock group called Death in the 70s, and they found these old recordings. I was just trying to, I was trying to create an idea of how to expand it. You are gonna make me scream like a white lady. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Deep Tracks. It's another special interview episode. This time, I am interviewing my parents. Having been teens slash young adults at the time of Rock's birth, I thought it would be interesting to hear them reminisce about their memories of what things were like, what their thoughts and feelings were, uh, you know, all that stuff at the time of Rock's birth. Uh, What's especially fun is they had very different experiences and viewpoints with music from that time period. Uh, My mom loved rock music and my dad hated it. (laughs) As I've mentioned before, I have a rich swing band legacy on my dad's side. His father, my grandpa McCullough, uh, took piano lessons as a kid and was self-taught on the clarinet and saxophone. And then he began playing with a band in the early 1920s, around age 16, and then continued through the Depression, working at least three nights a week. And then in December of 1941, uh, he moved to Ventura, California, which is where I grew up, and he joined a band as soon as possible. He was uh, soon playing at least uh, two nights a week, and he was actually the main element in creating the Musicians Union 981 in Ventura County and held different offices in that organization. Um, He began playing dances for the American Legion on Friday and Saturday nights, and then this was so successful, the Legion was able to build up, or was able to build a new building for these dances. Um, Unfortunately, after about 10 to 15 years of late nights, my grandpa had a physical breakdown and was forced to quit for a couple of years. But then he and his band auditioned for the 50-plus club at the Poinsettia Pavilion in Ventura, uh, somewhere around the mid-1960s, and they initially agreed to try his band on on a six-month trial basis. Six months turned into more than 25 years of great success with a crowded hall every Monday night. Um, But then eventually, you know, he finally laid down his instruments uh, because he felt he couldn't depend on his fingers doing what what he needed them to do. Um, nevertheless, swing music and big band, it's, it's always been a big part of my family's musical tradition. And you'll notice in the interview that by the time rock rolled in, uh, my dad, as he put it, didn't have any use for it. Um, you know, he was already enamored with the musical world of his father. As for my mom, uh, and her musical backstory, I actually learned something about myself in doing this interview. (laughs) You may or may not remember, but in episode zero, in which I'd interviewed myself, I had mentioned that I wasn't raised on rock music. However, it didn't dawn on me until after this interview with my parents that I had grossly misspoken. You see, I had been raised on rock music. My mom often listened to Elvis Presley, Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, Roy Orbison, the Beach Boys... And yet, when recording episode zero, I'd said that I hadn't really been exposed or gotten into rock until I was about 11 or 12. And of course, in episode three on the origins of country music, you know, I brought up the country artists I remembered my mom listening to because that was the genre of music I was focusing on. But even then, I I knew in the back of my head that she also had these other artists that she enjoyed. But then after the interview with my parents, I was, I was talking to my kids about it, you know, and telling them how grandma had enjoyed Elvis Presley when she was a little teeny bopper. And both of my kids remembered what I'd said in episode zero. And they like near simultaneously pointed out, I thought you said you weren't raised on rock music. 
So I, I realized that this revealed a blind spot in my thinking. I realized that the rock music I was thinking of while recording my episode zero had been stuff more akin to heavy metal and alternative rock. I had apparently delineated oldies rock as something else entirely, which as a music academician, that's a little embarrassing. Anyway, this interview with my parents is a rich treasure trove of experience and perspective from people who saw a lot of this stuff happening that I have talked about and will talk about. And the fact that they have two different perspectives on the topic also makes it that much more fascinating. I hope you enjoy listening to me interview two of my most favoriteest people on the planet. And now here is the interview. All right. I am excited to welcome to the show the people who spawned me, my parents, Dick and Anise McCullough. Hello. Welcome. Well, hello. <laughs> <laughs> um, I figure what we could do is start off and maybe you guys could just share briefly um, a little bit about yourselves, where you're, where you grew up and um, I don't know what you're up to these days, I guess. Well, I grew up all over because we moved around a lot. So I can't say I'm from any place. I lived in California the longest of any place I've ever lived. And that's because your dad was, was worked on the oil rigs, right? Right, right. Yep. And dad, want to share where you grew up? Well, I was born and bred in California and lived there for most of my life until we retired. And then we came to Utah after that. Yep. Yeah, you guys you guys left the um the chosen land for the land of cold and snow. <laughs> uh, that's okay. I forgive you. I forgive you. Um so I something's kind of cool and I kind of mentioned this in a couple of my episodes. My my parents um on my dad's side, I kind of have like a I grew up with big band music and a love for big band music and uh, kind of a big band heritage. And on my mom's side, um, it's kind of more cowboy type deal. Western. Yes, yes, very Western. Um, I even I even mentioned, I can't remember which episode, I think it's episode three, I, I mentioned Grandma Betcha Boots, <laughs> if you remember that. Yeah. <laughs> um, Anyway, so I I I am getting close in in the show where I'm going to be talking about uh, big band and some of those things. So, Dad, I I thought it'd be kind of cool to talk about Grandpa a little bit and his big band. Do you mind sharing some memories about about your dad's um, band that he had? Well, he was never in a, a literal big band like the twenty or so musicians, but he always had his own dance band of between three and six uh, musicians. He started off uh, on the piano when he was 16 because he took lessons on the piano, but he was self-taught on the clarinet and learned the, the clarinet and the sax and baritonos. So he was a musician from 16 until almost 80 years old when he figured he wasn't sure his fingers would do what he wanted them to, and so he had to set his horns aside. It was really <laughs> hard for him because he, he loved his music. Yeah, yeah. And there's still, um, I know we still, you still have a lot of his old lead sheets, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also, is it his saxophone that you that you have? 
I have a, one of his uh, original altos, yes. Yeah. And your brother Dave has his baritone. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I'm I've never really taken up with wind instruments. Well, you guys remember me practicing saxophone a little bit at the house that one time. I I prefer to be able to breathe whenever I want to. That's why piano and drums are kind of my my two favorites. <laughs> Yeah, I like, like <laughs> well, I like, uh, yeah, the whole thing about having to like think about when you breathe and, and trying to sneak in breath in between <laughs> notes is, is too much for me. <laughs> so do you remember, um, do you guys, what are some of your memories, since this is a podcast about the history of rock, I thought it'd be kind of cool to ask you some of your memories about when rock music first came on the scene. Do you remember that time, what that was like, um, just when the whole thing first kind of happened? Well, I remember before rock and roll actual rock and roll was a movie was called rock around the clock and that was kind of like the to give you a, a taste of what rock was like and then after that elvis presley came on the scene and everybody if you were the young kid you were you know drooling at his feet if you were the older <laughs> generation you couldn't you know you couldn't watch him do gyrate on the stage and so a lot of times on television, they wouldn't even show the bottom part of Elvis Presley. <laughs> Nowadays, it's no big deal. But back then, it was a scandal to the older generation. Yeah. But I really, I really liked um, Elvis Presley. And at that time, there was two, two um, stars, Elvis Presley and Pat Boone. And they were oh, yeah. kind of a you know, either you were on the Pat Boone side or you were on the Elvis Presley. <laughs> and I was on the Elvis Presley and I really liked, I, I really liked Elvis Presley. And I um, respected him because he wasn't too big of a star to sign up and defend his country. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and um, I, that's kind of, it's just really fascinating. I, I'm realizing that I guess we've never really had this conversation because as you're as you're sharing all this, and it's funny because I'm I'm like reading different books right now, like preparing for, you know, these episodes that I want to do, and and reading about like exactly what you're talking about, and it's just kind of funny. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have like a primary source, right? Like I grew up with a primary source. <laughs> Why am I reading these books? I could be asking my parents. <laughs> so I'm glad I'm glad we're doing this interview. That's really cool. Um, <laughs> How how old were so you guys were how old were you in in uh, the mid fifties that was that your you're in high school like what late forties early fifties well dad, dad you were was, yeah oh. but mom you were in high school mid fifties maybe right yeah okay I graduated in fifty nine so I went through the fifties okay okay and I dad, have no use for Elvis myself <laughs> <laughs> it took me years and years to finally accept the music that we listen to today. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think even now, though, you're still you're still big band at, at heart, right? Oh, yes. I am. I definitely am. Yeah. I remember because, um, I mean, like, you know, all of us kids grew up uh, listening to, you know, like Glenn Miller and and Tommy Dorsey and um, Benny Goodman, all these artists that um, were like most people just I don't know, most kids my age didn't really they never thought about, never heard of, never cared about. And I remember in the nineties, there was that like spike, you know, with, with, um, 
swing music and swing bands and big bands and that really became so it was like i was like it was kind of cool because i felt like popular culture kind of came to us <laughs> you know it kind of moved towards us for a moment you know because i it was all stuff that i'd grown up with with you and and it was like all right finally like i'm i'm part of the cool kids now this is kind of nice <laughs> <laughs> um dad what i guess what were your impressions when you first kind of saw rock music so it, it, it wasn't really um wasn't something you really enjoyed was that mostly because you had grown up on like a different kind of music or just aesthetically just never really appealed to you or all of the above really <laughs> but really basically uh, there was always big band music of some kind in the home yeah i was a kid growing up uh, starting from well before my birth and into the 50s that's when the big band was really moving and they died out after that so uh, i was in in high school when the big bands were phasing out and the other stuff was coming in so yes i was very engrossed and very in taste in big band music and i still love it today yeah yeah yeah, I, I, think, I think what made rock and roll just kind of burst on the scene like that was that was about the time that TV really got, you know, completely over the, the whole United States. And so a lot of the, these, you know, um, artists were able to debut on television and get more exposure than what with the bad, big band era. They, you know, it's in the big cities and stuff like that where they mm. were or you heard him over the radio. Yeah. yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I, you know, like I've watched some, well, obviously like read a lot about a lot of those kind of movies that they would make that were essentially just elongated music videos. I mean, they were like showcasing just different artists, but then right. watched a few of them as well. And that, yeah, that's actually a really good point. I hadn't really thought about that as well, that, um, that really like before that artists were it was just you, you had to see them live you know there wasn't like this way to really get them and then with television that's like kind of part of that transitional time where finally you get to see you can literally broadcast these artists out to a broader audience right um yeah yeah that's a really good point mom do you remember um did you ever buy any records like any rock and roll records or any records when you were hmm. When this was happening? Yeah, I bought I bought Elvis Presley ones. Um, mostly, that was what I bought. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, you know, if only you still had those records, they'd be worth. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, it, it's funny. Like we've come full circle with that as well. Recently, Keenan bought me a. Um, he actually bought me like a record player. I mean, it does like it also does CDs and cassette tapes oh, yeah. and everything. But but it's just kind of funny how vinyls are. You know, they're kind of like this. This they've made a comeback. You know, it's like a cool thing to. Mm -hmm. So I've gotten a bunch of vinyls. You wanted to talk about the Beatles too. Oh yeah, that's right. Oh my gosh, until I forgot about that. Um, yeah. Did, what was it like when the Beatles first kind of popped on the scene? I wasn't impressed with them, um, because for one thing, they were from from England. But um, I didn't have I when they compared themselves to Jesus Christ, they kind of <laughs> lost me there. But in retrospect, they did have a lot of good music. Um, I like the Beatles, like it's kind of funny, like they, you know, aesthetically, I enjoy a lot of their music, but they're they're also one of those artists where I 
I can dive into like just the theory behind the music as well. And just, it's super fascinating that a lot of things they did were really um, very complex or groundbreaking, or it was yeah. just, they add like an interesting complexity that, that wasn't really there in a lot of rock music beforehand. That's so kind of why they've lasted so long. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I think so. They just, they kind of have yeah, like no a huge one from the beginning. Yeah. I, I felt <laughs> leave them in England. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any other artists you guys remember just kind of through from that time period that was just kind of uh they seemed like a big deal or any artists that you thought would be big that never stuck around actually did you think the beatles would be around as big as they oh, they ended up being no i didn't but i'm surprised because since i didn't listen to a lot of their music i'm surprised to hear music and find out it's the beatles oh you know? yeah the the rent the other you know bands or stuff have done renditions of their songs, and so it, that's kind of um, enlightened my mind about how how like you said unique they were in in their music. Yeah, well, I mean, you had a good arranger, and he could make uh, any of the Beatles stuff sound really great. They've they've done some great stuff with the Beatles music. Well, that's kind of the funny thing about. Um, John Lennon and Paul McCartney, that was actually kind of their plan was eventually they like doing the Beatles was initially kind of like this temporary thing. And then they wanted to down the road, be like a, a songwriting pair, you know, yeah. like um, Goffin and King or, or uh, Jerry Lieber and, and um, Oh my gosh, I'm having a total brain fart Lieber and Stoller. Oh man. Uh, anyway, like just kind of those famous songwriting pairs, you know, that, that um, almost like a tin pan alley kind of thing, you know, where they would just write songs and other artists would perform them. And, and then of course, obviously they didn't, they didn't go that direction, but, but it's kind of funny that they, um, they were definitely saw themselves like kind of more so as songwriters rather than, you know, like some people, like they see themselves as rock stars. They want to be out there performing on the road or just on stage and and they they were really more interested in just kind of writing cool tunes and doing whatever with it it's uh, interesting to note though clear back frank sinatra was an idol and where girls would you know he had huge you know entrees of girls that would swarm when he when he'd sing not you know not like elvis presley obviously but they you know he had his own following now his stuff when he first started. Yeah, started with the big bands. They overlapped each other. Yeah, big bands were working. He worked in with the big bands, and then he kept on going when the big bands started to fade away a bit. Yeah, he was able to kind of bridge that gap. Yeah, it, yeah. It does seem like there's always those artists that are, um, or there were. I don't know if it's like that so much anymore, but but there is this period where you have these, this kind of a common occurrence or recurring sort of thing with th these popular like male performers who have like these, you know, flocks of women yeah. fawning over that. Right. Which with actually that's a lot of people have written a lot of things about um, all kinds of things about that, especially in gender studies. But like oh. I, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting you know, you have El or sorry, you have, you know, Frank Sinatra and then Elvis. And of course the Beatles, they had like tons of women oh, yeah. fawning oh, yeah. over them. It's like TD boppers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of part of the like the whole image of it. Um, but yeah, it's funny. Like you don't really have that anymore. Actually, it doesn't seem like people react as much as viscerally to music as they do as they used to. Like I, I watch old video clips of 
Well, just of people watching, like, you know, like Elvis or the Beatles performing and just people are just losing their minds, right? They're just, uh, yeah. like, you know, it's almost like a, um, they're possessed or something, you know, and then, and now, you know, I mean, you watch, yeah, I, I've gone to a lot of concerts and um, it just doesn't, it doesn't seem like there's any, I, I just, um, I, maybe I just haven't gone to big enough shows, but it seems like you don't have that same kind of thing where people are just, it's like almost like an out of body experience for them or something when they go, you know what I mean? Cause it just, you see yeah. these things, you see like women crying or, you know, it's just like these <laughs> very emotional visceral response. And it doesn't seem like that's like that anymore. I kind of wonder why that is. Well, that's just think it's because it's gotten to be such a common thing, you know, with every group and, yeah. and um, mentally adjusted. Elvis Presley was essentially that new, new, um, way of you know singing that you know it so it was something new and that's why he, probably he had all this following like that but now it's so common it's they don't do that anymore that much not that i've gone to that many concerts <laughs> yeah i yeah i mean i think we are definitely um we're so exposed to so many things now i yeah. mean i think about like my kids they have their spotify playlists that are I don't know when I was, you know, like when I was in high school, I had like very, I was kind of very narrow in like the, the genres of music that I listened to. And I just, I had like just a very specific handful of artists that I liked and I wasn't really that open-minded. And then I see my, my, I see what Keenan and Reese have on their, um, on their Spotify playlists and, and it's like all kinds of genres, which is kind of cool. I mean, like it's, they're exposed to musical genres that like when I was their age, I had never heard of, or just maybe wasn't as exposed to. So, I mean, it's kind of a cool thing, but I, yeah, I don't think we'll ever see anything like that again. Like you saw with you know, like Elvis or the Beatles or just these artists for, or even Led Zeppelin, like just different artists who were like these huge icons, you know, for yeah. a while that kind of seemed to dominate everything. I don't know if we'll ever, We'll ever get that again i feel like nirvana is kind of the last the last of that breed um i mean i guess they, I mean, there are big pop stars nowadays but they're not it's just not the same i don't think no i don't think so either yeah i don't know maybe maybe my podcast will just totally blow up and then i will be the next, <laughs> the, <laughs> the next. well we can hope yeah, we yeah people will be weeping as they listen <laughs> 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 former like expression garage bands <laughs> yeah that's hey that's well that's what that's what me and and jerem and chris and curtis yeah. and yeah that's what we had <laughs> so, uh -huh. uh, except we never got out of the garage we, <laughs> we i think we did one show we did we did eric's wedding reception and we did one song and then they closed the curtains on us after, <laughs> after one song yeah yeah you big debut yeah <laughs> yeah that's right. They couldn't handle us. All right. Well, I love one you guys. More, one more note on big oh. bands. Yeah. You remember Spike Jones and the City Slickers? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I do. Uh, you might put an expression in there about those idiots. <laughs> uh, I remember listening to those records as a kid, and they just cracked me up. <laughs> Actually, they were, they were oh. a band that didn't make it as far as big bands so they went the other way yeah they yeah they were not they were not really popular but they were very entertaining yeah they're hilarious 
Actually, that might be kind of a fun episode is to do an episode just on artists who kind of, oh yeah, they, they use humor or, or do spoofs, you know, like them and um, like Weird Al or just different artists like that, right? Who just kind of do like just comedy and music. Oh. Are you thinking of the pianist? Um, yeah. Yeah. I literally just saw a video of him on Instagram the other day and like suddenly I'm having a, another brain fart. I can't think of his yeah. name. Victor Borga. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Victor Borga. Man, I cannot think of names tonight. Uh, this is what I get for, for doing this after having eaten a big meal and trying to, <laughs> try to digest. Yeah, you're going to do a lot of editing too. <laughs> yeah, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on Deep Tracks with me today. And thank you for just being um, my two, just always supporting me and um, instilling in me a love of music. I don't think I would um, for I, I should actually, I'm in my autobiographical moments in my episodes. I will probably at various times share stories about piano lessons and not being able to do anything else other, you know, like, I, piano lessons first, play later, right? <laughs> Just maybe I'll even share the time I broke the piano when I got really mad. <laughs> or the time your teacher had fainted on you. Yeah, yeah. When, <laughs> Mrs. Knopf passed out in the middle of my lesson. Oh, oh my goodness. Yeah. Lots of good stories there. Anyway, yeah. But yeah, thank you for, for just being my, um, instilling in me a love of music and then being my, two of my musical and personal heroes. I love you guys. Well, you thank too. you for developing your music into a podcast for one thing and all the other things you've done with it. <laughs> I'm very well, flattered that you've done such a great thing in your life with your music. Yeah. Thanks dad. Yeah, even though mom wanted me to be a dentist, I am. <laughs> a doctor. A doctor, doc that's right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You'll be a doctor of music. There we go, yeah, that's right. <laughs> then when I could say when somebody says, is there a doctor in the house? And I'll be like, not that kind of doctor. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that was my interview with my parents. Hope you enjoyed it. Next episode, we will resume the timeline and we will be talking about um, some of the artists I mentioned at the end of last episode, right? So we'll be talking about Elmore James, Bo Diddley, Muddy Waters, Howlin' Wolf. We'll be talking about Aristocrat Records and Chess Records. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's some of my favorite artists, some of my favorite music. And um, I'm super excited about it. Until next time, keep it deep. Can you guys hear a cat meowing in the background? I, I, saw one I don't hear it, but I see it in the background. Okay, all right, right. He keeps meowing. Yeah, I mean, I... <laughs> even just like what's funny is i um see now my cat is on the desk with me this is like kind of annoying